Top of the inning to you. Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love baseball and if you love Ireland, stay tuned for a discussion of all things Irish baseball. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to episode 26 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker, and this is a milestone show for us. This marks the one-year anniversary of the Irish Baseball Podcast. Thank you so much for the support over the last 12 months. We have a lot of great stuff planned in the future, and it wouldn't be possible without all of you listening. Things will get started today with my interview with a unique visual artist named Sean Kane. He produces some one-of-a-kind baseball items and is working with the Irish American Baseball Society on a special project you'll hear about in a future episode. After that, I'll be joined by John Fitzgerald, the founder of the Irish American Baseball Society, and we'll highlight some of the members of the Irish Ancestry Database who have January birthdays. Right now, let's welcome our first guest. Thank you for joining me, Sean. My pleasure. Nice to meet you, Rick. Thanks for having me on the show. So we're just going to get this out of the way at the beginning here. If you want to find Sean Kane, SeanKaneBaseballArt.com. He spells Sean, S-E-A-N, and he spells Kane, K-A-N-E. So that's SeanKaneBaseballArt.com. And all over social media, at Painted Gloves. So, Sean, painted gloves kind of describes what you do, but I know that you have a passion for this, and I want to hear all about what you do and a little bit about what you're going to help us do. We'll talk about that in a little bit as well. To get started with, what I do essentially is I I want to spark memories for baseball fans with artwork, and so... I grew up a baseball fan and an artist and finally got a chance to merge them together. So I like to take vintage or classic baseball gloves and paint portraits of ballplayers on those gloves, embracing the character of classic gloves, layering in portraits of the players, graphics, their name, and highlights from their careers all into this one package on a glove to create this whole new kind of baseball keepsake, but also this touchstone for a person to help them spark memories, evoke their earliest baseball memories, maybe of a game they went to with their dad or grandpa, and to get conversations started and to draw people in. Because it's an odd thing to see a baseball glove with a a hand-painted detailed portrait on it, and it draws people in, and they get interested in the story, and like, why is this person on here? And for me to really tell the story of whoever it is I'm depicting, whether it's King Kelly or Jeff Bagwell or whoever it is on the glove, I like to use gloves that are from the era that they played. Or if they're a first baseman, make sure it's a first baseman's mitt. Best of all, when I can match the glove to the model that they used. And so it really, it's like a time machine that carries the viewer to the ballpark, to the field. It's like, that's what Eddie Murray wore on his hand. It, they're not game-used gloves. I would never dare to do that. But they're definitely striving for the era and the look and the right, you know, the correct hand that they wore their glove on. All of that adds to the story that I'm trying to tell with the work. And then people put them on their shelves. They put them on their desks. They get hung in museums. They become part of art exhibits and fundraising efforts. Hopefully they can get out for as many people as possible to see them and enjoy them. 
So I'm a person that when I go and visit a new city, there are three places that I love to check out when I'm there. Any sort of historical place, obviously the ballpark, and I love to go to art galleries and see artwork. So it's almost like you have combined all three of these things. You have the history, you have the art, and of course, all of our loves of the great game of baseball. So I think that's really cool. So you had to come up with this idea at one point and execute it for the first time. So I know that first player that you picked had to be special to you particularly. So who was it that you picked to be that first glove? Just a little bit before painting the actual first player, the first glove I painted was in anticipation of going to see Ichiro play his first spring training in Arizona in 2001. Tony Gwynn was also in his last spring training in 2001, and they shared a facility in Peoria, Arizona. And I painted up a glove, very cartoony treatment, but painted up a glove I had in my art studio to bring with me to be a conversation starter. No player on there, just a bunch of goofy baseball stuff on there. Tony Gwynn saw it. Like I was out of the car for five minutes. He saw it and thought it looked cool. And I was so excited. He signed it. And then it hung on my wall for 10 years. And everybody came to my studio. They're like, that's the coolest thing. Why aren't you doing this? Took me 10 years later. Finally did it. The first player I did was Ernie Banks. It's actually a two-finger glove. And I thought, oh, okay, well, let's play two. So this is an old Wilson glove. Wilsons are from Chicago, made in in Illinois, Chicago area. And I just thought, well, this is a natural. I'm going to paint Ernie Banks on here. And uh, so that was my first my first player. And I I was grew up a Cubs fan. So it was just a natural to go that direction. Yeah, definitely. As a Cubs fan, you grew up in Chicago. You have to go with Mr. Cub. So when you were growing up, besides Ernie Banks, who were some of your other idols? I'm assuming you must be a Cubs fan instead of a White Sox fan. Yeah, uh, I am. Some family controversy there. My family is a Southside Chicago Irish family. And so I went to games at Comiskey Park. I went to games at Wrigley Field. I ended up living near Wrigley Field, and I was just a Cubs fan from the get-go. I would watch games, afternoon games, at my grandparents' house, and Rick Monday was my guy. When the Dodgers, he got traded when the Dodgers came to town, Steve Garvey signed my scorecard, and then I became a Steve Garvey fan, and I collected all of his cards. Other players that I liked were Fergie Jenkins, Andre Dawson, One of the funny things as an adult working in this field is now getting to cross paths with several of these guys, uh, which has been just a fun, very satisfying part of doing this work. Yeah, so those were my big guys growing up. If somebody's asking you about a glove and they want to commission you to make a glove for them and they say, this is the player that I want on the glove, maybe somebody who wasn't one of your favorite players as you've been following the game, what do you do in research that goes into starting this project? Yeah, great question. I spend a huge part of the 120 to 150 hours that I spend on on painting these gloves in that research process, because even if I was a fan of them, I don't really know all of the details. There's so many players over the years and My first step in researching players that I will paint would be to dive into their baseball reference stats, 
look up a Wikipedia page, look up a Sabre article or profile and start there. Usually maybe there's a biography that I can get my hands on to read. And then I start looking at photos of them and start getting a sense of what are the cool uniforms that they wore when they were playing, whether they were in pinstripes on one team or they had cool old flannels and another there's different ways that I think they would be more interestingly portrayed that the person commissioning me to make the painting might not have thought of. And so I'll, I'll pitch that to them. I'll say, you know what? Maybe the uh, powder blue away uniforms will be cooler than the pinstripes or something like that, depending on the era and, and the team and all of that, or the tequila sunrise instead of the pinstripes for the Astros. Things like that come into play. Um, but I think that's usually my starting point is a couple of those research sites start to get a sense of the look of this player. And, you know, I, I definitely look to see what glove they used. I, I do a search of them fielding so I know what they used. And that is typically a big, big part of the process for me because I want to find a glove that looks exactly like what they wore. Sometimes they're, they played 100 or 120 years ago, so I'm just lucky to find a glove that is available. But that's those are the, the, the beginning uh, points of getting the wheels turning for me. So has there been a player that somebody has requested and in the process of creating this glove and researching the player, you actually gained a new appreciation and maybe you became a fan in retrospect? Great question. Yes, there have been players that I've gained respect for and learned about that were brought to me to paint that, frankly, just weren't on my radar. A few of them are Philadelphia Phillies players from just a decade ago. There were a lot of Phillies and Cub trades going on back in the 80s when I was growing up a fan. But aside from that, I don't follow that team so much. So when I've been approached by the Phillies and I've done a number of projects for them that they've given gloves to players as gifts. Jimmy Rollins came on my radar. I don't know how I missed Jimmy Rollins, but this guy, and he's just on the most recent Hall of Fame ballot. He's like a great player. And Philadelphia fans are going to be screaming at their podcast player saying, of course, you idiot, you should have known that, but I didn't. And so for me to learn about him and uh, Ryan Howard, and then, and then older players, like a guy named Addie Joss, who pitched for Cleveland back in the early 1900s, very short-lived uh, life and career. But reading about him, I find out he was an engineer. He actually designed electronic scoreboards that I believe uh, Cleveland put into, into use at some point. So this is like a farm kid from Wisconsin who escapes the farm, goes to university for a bit, gets to play pro ball, in the meantime, he's an engineer and he designs a, a, a scoreboard. So things like that just thrill me. And they're things that I never would have known about if I hadn't been given the opportunity to paint these guys. Yeah, I find it a little funny because during the Rollins, Utley, Howard, Phillies, I was actually working sports radio in Pennsylvania. So you assume that everybody knows who these players right. are when they're local to you. Yeah. But baseball is definitely a sport that can get regional fan bases. And you'll get people who will know every Yankee or every Met for 30 years, but don't know somebody who's playing on another team. Now, if you're a Mets fan, you probably knew those three players on the Phillies. But of course. if you're a Cubs fan, 
I could see that skipping you. You play them, what, six games a year, seven games a year? You just don't pay attention to it all the time. So that's really cool that you got to develop an appreciation for some of these players who were playing while you were a fan, but -hmm. you didn't necessarily look back at all their stats and know exactly how good they were when you were seeing them every once in a while. Exactly. So the Irish baseball podcast is a production of the Irish American baseball society. And we are doing a lot of things to grow the society and the baseball United foundation and you are doing something to help us out. So why don't you talk about that a little? Well, as far as I know, and as far as I can reveal at this point, uh, there is a painting that is going to happen. We're trying to narrow down who that player that we're going to feature is going to be. But as you know, and, and society members know, there's so many early players, Roger Connor, Eddie Collins, Big Ed Walsh, Wee Willie Keeler, so many to choose from. But we're going to be creating uh, a work of art involving baseball glove, featuring an Irish-American ball player to help raise funds for the society. And news about that's going to be coming out in the near future. And then as a member of the Irish-American Baseball Society and talking about some of these older Irish players, are they players that you knew about before you joined the society? Or is this another learning process for you? being a member of our organization and getting more and more in depth into the sport. Yeah. Well, it's a bit of both. And, and this is another one of these avenues within baseball that's just opened up for me becoming a member is I had heard of we Willie Keeler, especially I was an Ichiro fan and as he was chasing hit records and things like that, we Willie Keeler's name came up. John McGraw, of course, I knew of him. I'd heard of Eddie Collins, but other guys I hadn't. So definitely this is being associated with the society is opening my eyes to all these other amazing stories of players. And it's just, it's super exciting because for me to get to learn about these guys and especially with a personal interest in Irish heritage, it just helps make baseball feel so much more meaningful and adds this other layer of depth and, and fun. And, and when the players are 19th century players, that's an area that I've very rarely had an opportunity to look into as a visual artist and as an amateur baseball historian, basically, well, I should say uh, baseball history student. Last year, I had the opportunity to paint a glove portrait featuring Mike King Kelly And that was really my entree into both early Irish baseball players and the 19th century game. And wow, talk about learning about things that I never knew about. Like he had an influence on like sliding and uh, hit and run and really finding the nuances and ways around some of the rules at the time. And then to find out he wrote like the first baseball biography His autograph was like one of the first sought after player autographs. And then he was an actor on like vaudeville stages and all this crazy stuff. So definitely dipping my toe into the society and learning about about players of Irish heritage is just it's just great. I just love it. That was artist Sean Kane. The two of us will continue the conversation in episode 27, which will debut on January 17th. 
I'm Rick Becker. All guests of the Irish Baseball Podcast receive a one-year membership into the Irish American Baseball Society. To become a member yourself, visit irishbaseball.org. John Fitzgerald is the founder of the IABS, and he joins me right now. Hey, Rick. Thanks for having me on. So today we're doing something new. To start off 2022, we're going to go over some Irish Americans who have impacted the game of baseball and happen to have January birthdays. These are players, and in this case, we have an umpire this month. Um, These are people that impacted the game and had some sort of a uh, Irish ancestry or a link back to Ireland. Starting off on January 1st is Tim Keefe. Tim's parents were born in Cork. For those who aren't familiar with Tim, he was born over 100 years ago. He is a Hall of Fame pitcher. I believe he won 342 games. You know, he was uh, one of the top pitchers of his day, and uh, he was uh, first generation. And then on January 2nd, we've got David Cohn. I'm sure most people are familiar with David's uh, body of work. Uh, he was a Cy Young winner, won the World Series with the Yankees and the Blue Jays multiple times, um, was really a great pitcher. He traces his Irish roots back to County Carlow. And um, we've got Chris Bryant, uh, also uh, first week of January, on January 4th. And uh, he traces his ancestry back to Wexford. You know, John, it's interesting you talk about David Cohn, because I think a lot of people focus on some of his big achievements later in his career, like with the Yankees. And they don't necessarily remember how dominant he was with the Mets and the Royals in the early part of his career. And obviously, Chris Bryant now going over to the Giants and sort of having a rejuvenation of his young career. Yeah, and I'm not too sure about Bryant's awareness of his Irish heritage, but I do know that David Cohn is uh, very aware. I was actually at his induction into the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame a few years back, and I think you know what you said is right. I'm not too familiar, other than the numbers, uh, with his experience or his time with the Royals. Uh, but as a Met fan, I'm well aware of, I think he was 20 and 3, in 88 if i'm not mistaken i mean he was just lights out and um you know he he had a great career i mean even after um i think he had a uh he had an issue with his arm i think it was was it an aneurysm or blood clot or something and uh, came back from that you know obviously through the perfect game with the yankees you know he was just a guy that just got it done and whether or not he was at the top of his game or not and, and he uh was a big contributor but um you know i think that's really at the Irish American Baseball Society, you know, as you know, this is one of the things that we do. We, we do the research to try to find out, you know, what what are those ancestral ties? Who are the, the people that made an impact? And in the case of David Cohn, he's aware of his Irish roots. Um, we don't know if Chris Bryant is. I'm sure Tim Keefe was, uh, his parents being from court. That's always kind of the challenge or the discovery process where we, we find these things out. Uh, I should mention Tim Carr, the, the guy that does uh, a lot of our research on the, the player and, you know, ancestry angle. Uh, and we've got other guys that do a lot of work on the, the research of baseball in Ireland you know, over the years and also uh, baseball in the 1800s and early 1900s in the U.S. that was dominated by Irish Americans. So it's, it's a, you know, obviously, as you know, it's an all- encompassing thing and it's really cool to to kind of dig through and find out where Irish lineages for these players are just looking at it right now something that kind of really stood out for me I wouldn't have thought this but two years with the Mets David Cohn led the league in strikeouts and I don't know if I would have thought of that I didn't think of him as one of those overpowering pitchers but he led the league in strikeouts in 90 and 91 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I vaguely remember that as a young Mets fan. And, uh, you know, I just know that when, when he was on the mound, it kind of, um, it wasn't quite as electric as when Gooden was on the mound in the mid eighties, but, um, he was, you know, he was just a great pitcher and, and it was, uh, as a Mets fan, it was, uh, it was not great to see him go, but, um, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of those, uh, tales, uh, you know, for Mets fans moving past, uh, the first week, um, actually on January 7th, we've got Johnny Mize. Who's a you know a Hall of Famer played with the Cardinals, the Giants, and the Yankees. We've got Jack O'Neill, who was uh, one of the O'Neill brothers. Then we've got Jimmy Collins, who is a Hall of Famer. You know, I don't know if his playing career, you know, in my opinion, would have warranted being a Hall of Famer, but he was the first manager to win a World Series, and he was the first uh, manager in the history of the Boston Red Sox franchise. I think at that time they were called the Boston Americans, but um, you know, th- those are just really really important things in the history of the game and and uh and here's the guy who i believe his parents were from ireland and it's not known as far as we know at this time we don't know exactly where they were up in ulster but we're not sure uh what town or county they were from i definitely see what you're saying about jimmy collins and maybe his career statistics weren't enough as a player to make it into the baseball hall of fame but i do think that one of the things that you have to remember is when he was playing it was definitely the height of the dead ball so the fact that he had a 294 batting average that was that was pretty good that was pretty good offense coming from a guy who didn't have any power but really nobody had power back then he hit 15 home runs in 1898 so that was probably about as much power as you were going to get from anybody back then (laughs) those are really good points and I was uh uh, maybe I was a bit premature in, in saying he shouldn't have been in the Hall of Fame as a player, but you know, g- given his body of work across playing and managing, you know, it's impressive. And you know, I think that's uh, it's one of those things where you know it's important to recognize these guys and not forget about them. And then on January 16th, uh, we've got the birthday of Curry Foley. Now, Curry is really interesting to me. Um, he was born in County Kerry. I don't know too much about when he came over, but. I do know that he he wound up in Major League Baseball and he hit for the first cycle in Major League history. And the the weird thing or one of the other interesting things about that is he was also a pitcher. You know, this is early days of, of baseball. So I guess that was um, a little bit more common. But it, um, you know, it's interesting to see that this guy, he's born in Kerry. He comes over to the U.S., becomes a baseball player. He becomes the first guy to hit for a cycle. And he's also a pitcher. And um, I'm just uh, looking it up now. He, um, his lifetime earned run average was 3.54. He won 27 games, lost 27 games. And he had a lifetime 286 average. So he's, you know, certainly not a Hall of Famer by any stretch. But, um, you know, his contribution to the game, if you like, was that, uh, you know, he did something before anybody else did. And there's a lot of that throughout uh, the early days of baseball. And, and uh, that's one of the things we try to celebrate and research and, and uh, let people know about. Absolutely. So who else do you have here? Winding up January, we've got Bill McGowan, the Hall of Fame umpire on January 18th, who traced his Irish heritage back to Derry. Uh, Tony Mullane, who traced it back to Cork. Uh, He was the uh, pitcher, I believe, threw from the left-hand side and the right-hand side, had a a very good career. Uh, He's not in the Hall of Fame. And then, of course, on January 31st, we have Hall of Famer Nolan Ryan, who traces his heritage back to Tipperary, um, I believe in the mid 1700s. He is another member of the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame. 
Um, so, you know, you, you've got a, a pretty uh, diverse group here. Um, they all have Irish heritage. Uh, we're not sure if all of them knew about it or know about it. A lot of great accomplishments, a bunch of Hall of Famers. And this is something we're going to try to do every month just to keep people aware and recognize the achievements of these guys and, uh, and just keep, uh, you know, spreading the word about the, um, the Irish impact on the game of baseball. And I remember when you posted on social media, the ancestry of Nolan Ryan, you were kind of surprised. You thought his Irish heritage was going to be more recent than it turned out being when you researched it. Yeah. And, and that research was done by Tim Carr and, and uh, he, I think, he delivers these um, his findings in emails, and, and usually they're they're kind of bunched together. And uh, I was surprised by Nolan Ryan in terms of how far back it went. But the other guy actually in that email, if I remember correctly, was Wade Boggs, and that shocked me because. And I know you're a big Wade Boggs guy. Um, I you know I don't know that Wade Boggs knew that he was Irish, but if he did, um, it, it's a pretty well kept secret. Um, in terms of how far back it goes. And I believe he was Dublin in the, in the mid 1700s as well. So just really interesting stuff that these guys that, that they're, they're pretty far removed from their Irish lineage, but it all plays into the narrative of you know, baseball in Ireland, baseball in the US, and, and a lot of really cool stories to, to, to really discover. And I know if one person is well aware of Nolan Ryan's Irish stubbornness and unwillingness to back down, it would be Robin Ventura, so. <laughs> Yes. Thank you so much, John Fitzgerald, founder of the Irish American Baseball Society. Always great to have you on the show. Thanks again, Rick. Have a good day. For John Fitzgerald and Sean Kane, I'm Rick Becker, and this has been episode 26 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org and connect with us on social media. And remember, there's no place like home.